Thank you, Christy. Appreciate that. She's slipping me a handkerchief because normally when we're up here together, she sees me sweating profusely. So thank you for that. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Well, again, I want to be the, not the first and hopefully not the last to welcome you again to Mosaic. So glad that you guys are and girls are all here with us today. We're in the middle of a series called Practically Spiritual, and today we're going to talk about a life of practical prayer. How many know it's good to know how to pray? Let me see your hand. <clears throat> Amen. Well, sometimes it's good not to let people know that you know how to pray. Let me, let me tell you why. See, there was a large transatlantic ship. It was coming from Europe over to the United States, and it caught some rough waters. It began to take on water, and it became clear that the ship was going down. And so the captain of the ship cries out and says, does anybody here know how to pray? And the chef comes out. He says, I know how to pray. He says, good, good, because we're one life jacket short. So I hope your prayers work. God bless, sailor. Good luck. So, <clears throat> so sometimes even when you know how to pray, you might want to keep that to yourself. You got to pray if you should tell somebody if you know how to pray. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> but today we are going to talk about practical prayer. We're going to do this in three parts. Part number one is practices and hindrances in prayer. Then we're going to deal with praying in agreement with God. How to know what to pray when you don't know what to pray. And then praying on mission, finally, praying on mission, how to pray for our community, our country, our world. Before I get started, let's engage a bit of irony and pray. Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you that this morning you woke us all up with purpose. You woke us up with destiny. Lord, we awoke this morning to to you and to the life that you have for us. God, let us never take one day for granted. Lord, this morning I pray, God, that your spirit would speak through me, that your words would go and would separate bone from marrow and soul from spirit, Lord, and go into the deepest parts. Lord, if there's anything of me in this, filter it out, Lord, and that pray your spirit would cause everyone to receive what they need today. Lord, you know. You know what we need, and so Holy Spirit, you do your work as we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was preparing for a message on practical prayer... I thought it'd be good and wise to ask a few people older than me in their faith, some men and women of God that I look up to, what's the most practical thing about your prayer life? And while there were some variations to the answers, most of them were something like this. Just do it. Just do it. And, you know, I think that really is about the simplest and most powerful thing I could tell you today is when it comes to prayer, just do it. No matter what. Good times, bad times, hard times, easy times, fun times, sad times, and all times, just do it. Is that a good word? You with me so far? All right, great. If the worship team would come, we'll go ahead and begin to close. You got what you needed. You got to sit through more than that. Uh, Well, while that may sound easy enough, it sounds simple to just do it. The truth of the matter is, I think for you and for me, sometimes even though we want to pray, we run into some difficulties in doing so. My humble opinion is I, I think one of the biggest factors that affects us in not being able to pray is that we don't really believe that we have access We don't really believe it. So if we want to have an effective prayer life, we have to know and we have to believe that we have access to the throne of grace. Our prayer lives will never be what they could be without understanding that. And so while we realize also that we're accepted at the throne of grace, we've got to realize that that's not not an opening that we created for ourselves. Jesus did that for us. And by the way, he didn't come and die for us because we were cute or promising. He found us in our sin, in the dirt, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so we know that because of that, when we turn to him, he will accept us. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can and will be saved. And the access to the Father has already been created by Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't make it. You can't unlock that door. All you can do is respond to it and walk through it. 
But if you don't truly believe that you have access to the Father, to the throne room of God, you can't have an effective prayer life. I mean, who are you praying to? If you don't really believe that your prayers are going up to the God of heaven and earth, who are you praying to? You see, sometimes I think that we get worried and we get stuck because we're still wrestling with sin and temptation. And we think, well, right now I can't come to God in prayer. But the truth is, that's a lie. The Bible tells us something completely different. It says that Jesus is our high priest who's made a way for us so that we can come and find grace for the help that we need in our times of trouble. In our times of need. Let's take a quick look at it. It comes from Hebrews 4. I'm not just making this stuff up. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, because we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who has been tempted in all things in the same way and without sin. Therefore, let us approach with confidence the throne of grace in order that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in, everybody say in, In. the time of need. I notice the Bible says that we need grace for help. I think sometimes we confuse mercy and grace. So we all need mercy for our forgiveness, but we need the power of grace to help us in our time of need. And that power comes through prayer, I believe. So I want to encourage you today to never, ever, under any circumstances, let your sin and temptation keep you from praying. Here's the thing about prayer and sin. Check this out. Your sin cannot keep you from praying, but your prayers can definitely keep you from sinning. If you're struggling with a sin problem today, you might, you might be struggling with a prayer problem. Now, prayer is not a magic bullet. <clears throat> Sanctification is a fight. The Bible even suggests it's a fight unto the death. It's a fight that requires blood. All right? You've got to fight for your own sanctification. And yet, it's a fight that none of us can win without the power of prayer that gives us the power of grace to live the life of overcomers. So, when you're dealing with your failures, when I'm dealing with my failures and my sin, and we start to think, oh man, I did it again. I, I went there again. I've come a thousand times to God before. I know he's sick of this prayer. I'm just not going to pray it anymore. I got to tell you, that's when you need to call out the lie and you better start praying. Now, I'm not here to beat you up today if you quit calling on the Lord. I just came to tell you, though, that if you stopped, today's a good day to start. It's a good day to get started. Because God is rich in mercy. He's full of grace. And we, what he wants is for us to surrender to him. And when we do, he will deliver. I wanted to read the entire chapter of Psalm 107. I was told we don't have enough time for that today. And so I, I encourage you to make a note. If you're taking notes, Psalm 107, go home and read the whole thing. But what you're going to find in there, the first half is five different stories of people responding to God, calling out to God. You've got some that have wandered away. They just find themselves in a desert and hungry and hopeless. You have some that are total rebellion. They're evil, intent on destruction. You find some people who actually knew the statutes of Yahweh but did their own thing anyway. You find some people who are caught up in a storm they didn't expect. They didn't even know what was coming. In fact, the Bible says God sent it to them. Hope that I mess with your theology. It's in the Bible. You can read it. But God sent. But in all of these cases, whether it was the ones who just found themselves out of place, or those who rejected the word of the Lord, or those who were in a storm they didn't even create, when they cried out to God, He came and He rescued them. So that verse two will tell you, so that they could give thanks and give praise to God. How many know that even your redemption is not about you? It's about God receiving glory. 
And so church, when we cry out to God, he will call, he will answer, he will come through. But when he does, we best not keep it to ourselves. See, God comes and does good things so that we'll tell of the good things that he has done. I thank him for those times. I thank him for those times because not only does he rescue me, he reminds me it's not all about me. You ever experienced that? God is so good like that. The next thing I want to talk about is when we approach God in prayer, we have to remember something. We have to remember to make it personal. Now, I'll tell you this. It is true that Christianity is far more than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, God's trying to put together a big family. So it ain't all about you. But how many know you can't have families without individuals? That's what's important to know that sometimes it's not enough just to know about God. We actually have to know God. I've talked to people who know way more word than I do. Much more studied. Scholars in the Bible. They can debate theology with me and take me to school. That's fine. But sometimes when I ask them, what's God saying to you? They look at me like I have three eyes. What is that? Sometimes, at some point, the question has to flip from do you know the word of God to do you know the God of the word? So if you don't know the God of the word, it's all going to be out of context for you anyway. The Bible tells us that prayer is a personal thing. And I believe we should embrace that. He says things like this. Let me just give you a few. Whatever you ask, not whatever y'all ask, whatever you ask, Mark eleven twenty four, You call on me and come pray to me and I will listen, Jeremiah 29, 12. Call on me, I will answer you. I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know, Jeremiah 33, 3. The Lord is near to all who call on him, Psalm 145. And then we find even more intimate exchanges like this. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. I cried to my God for help, and he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. I cried out to him with my lips. His praise was on my tongue. How many know somebody else can't do the praising and praying for you? It's got to come off of your lips, out of your mouth, and from your heart. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. Psalm 118.5. And then Psalm 5.3 says this, In the morning, Lord. You hear my voice. In the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. And there in Psalm 5.3, we find another great tip for practical prayer life. Start every day with prayer. Did you know that when God provided manna from heaven to the children of Israel, you could get that stuff hot and ready at 8 p.m. But if you went to sleep and woke up in the morning, it's full of maggots. Sounds appetizing, right? It's getting close to lunchtime. This will hit a little better with second service, I think. I have never in my, I don't know, but I've never in my life had something that was good to eat at 8 o'clock at night and left it out. Not that that happens often. I got a clean, clean freak for a wife, and God, thank you for that. <clears throat> but I have never in my life had something that was good to eat at 8 p.m. and come, up, come around 7 a.m. It's all full of maggots. Never. I've never even seen that. And yet here's this meal that was made by the hands of God, given to the people of God, and it couldn't even last a night. I think there's a lesson in there for us. We've got to come and get fresh bread every day. Every day. See, yesterday's word was good for yesterday, but it might not be good for today. What God wants to speak to you today might need to be fresh. That doesn't mean that what he told you yesterday isn't true today. It just means he might have something new to say to you today. And so I encourage you every morning to press in. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, so go to him every morning and ask him to cover you, ask him to lead you. There's no right way to do it as long as you what? Just. Three, y'all got the first point. As long as y'all just do it. Right, there you go, there you go. And when it comes to prayer, um, 
my heart goes out to uh, a couple groups of people because I've run across a number of folks who just get tripped up. And I hear people say things like this. Why don't you pray? I'm not good at it. I don't really know how to pray. And actually, I have compassion for you. I understand what that means. So this may seem elementary to some of you, but I think it's worth pointing out today that prayer is really nothing more than just a conversation. It's just a conversation. So despite what you've heard, prayer, let me tell you something, is not complicated. So don't make it complicated. All right? What prayer is, is is not your ability to string together a bunch of religious phrases that you've heard other people repeat time and time again. All right? That's not what it is. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I do that. I've been around a lot of good praying people and I've just, osmosis, whatever. But that doesn't make a good prayer. That doesn't make a good prayer. I'll tell you something else that doesn't make a good prayer. Say it in front of other people. Just because you're willing to talk loud in front of others doesn't make it good. Matter of fact, Jesus warns us about these things. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, he says this. Whenever you pray, notice it doesn't say if you pray. It says whenever you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that all can hear them. In order that they may be seen by people. Now, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward in full. That's it. That's all they're going to get. People looking up to them. How many know that is an empty well right there? <clears throat> but whenever you pray, enter into your inner room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. So when you pray, don't babble repetitiously like the pagans. Ouch. For they think that because of their many words, they will be heard. Therefore, don't be like them. See, prayer is not some secret code that you have to crack before it becomes effective and powerful. It just has to be real. It just has to be genuine. I mean, think about it. If you sit down with your friends, with your family, with your spouse, you're just going to talk from the heart. You're not trying to get certain phrases right. You're definitely not going to pull out a card of what somebody else wrote and say, hold on, I'm going to tell you about my day that Steve wrote for me. All right, here we go. And you're not, you're, they're not going to do that. That'd be weird. That'd be weird. So you just come. You just talk. My day was like this. How was your day? That's all you got to do when it comes to the Lord. I know there's a tendency, though, for some people to feel a little lesser than or inadequate about prayer because they don't pray in public. Now, don't get me wrong. I think praying with other brothers and sisters is a good thing. And by the way, if you haven't ever joined us, it's 7 a.m. on Friday morning. I'm going to say it again. It's 7 a.m. on Friday morning. We gather together in Elevate Cafe and we seek the Lord together for an hour. It's great. And guess what? If you're one of those, I don't like to pray out loud. Come anyway. You can pray quiet. You're not going to get put on the spot. I have faith that that prayer meeting is going to grow so large it has to come in here. Maybe we'll have to have more than one of them. So, yeah, we believe that praying together is great. But also, as we just read, as Jesus suggests and even commands at some point here, <clears throat> your prayers and mine, ultimately, we've got to be uh, comfortable with a secret prayer life. A secret prayer life. If you find that you're praying more in front of people than you're praying on your own, there's something broken about your prayer life. I'll say that condemning. I found myself in those situations before. But you don't want to be there. That's not what the Bible's calling us to. So if you're more comfortable in secret in your closet, in your war room, whatever you want to call it, great. Just do it. But don't feel bad about it. One last little point here about prayer as a conversation. Uh, a mentor of mine and, uh, and a friend as well, a guy by the name of Zach Poonin, he talks about this a lot. He was just telling me this again a few nights ago when I was with him about prayer. He said, you know, I just think of prayer as a conversation with an older, wiser, more godly person than you. 
So when you get on the phone with someone older, wiser, and more godly, if you have any wisdom at all, you're going to shut up and listen. If you find yourself on the phone with somebody looking for advice, but you're doing all the talking, guess what that means? You don't really believe that they have a clue what they're talking about. That's what that means. So when you come to prayer, when you come to God, if you have any wisdom at all, just be quiet and listen. Listen to what he has to say. If you go to pray and you never take time to listen, the best you're going to come out with is what you already had. And that's why you were there in the first place. Doesn't work. Go to prayer. Put your petitions out to God and then close it. Listen. A few more practical tips for you and then we'll dive a little deeper in prayer. This one's super simple. Make a list. Make a list. When you think about something or hear about someone or have a request from someone uh, about something you need to spend time praying about, just write it down. I keep a list of all kinds of circumstances and situations and people and ministries that I pray for on a regular basis. If I didn't have the list, I probably wouldn't get it done right. I just wouldn't get through them all. <clears throat> and so there's nothing mystical about that. Writing it on paper doesn't make it more effectual. It doesn't mean for sure that God hears you. It's not that that makes him hear it. It just helps you. It's just simple. It helps me. And by the way, if you have a prayer list, I appreciate if you put me on it. I need a lot of prayer. Just ask my wife. She can give you the specifics later. <laughs> But seriously, the whole, I'll pray for you is sort of a way to like make people feel better, feel cared about. I hope that we'll stop doing that. Let's just, if we're going to tell somebody I'm going to pray for you, well then put it on your list. Don't make a liar out of yourself later. Just put it on the list. And then when you go home, just, just do it. That's right. Now finally, I'm going to close this section sort of how I began. If I could improve on just do it at all, I would say this, just do it now. Just do it now. This is something I've put into practice in my own life. And it just helps in so many ways here. But if you have time to pray for someone, well, then just do it right there. Doesn't matter where you are. You could be at their house. You could be at the HEB parking lot. You could be out here in the church parking lot. You could be down there at Kirby Lane having a nice orange juice and coffee, some good breakfast. And somebody says, man, my marriage just really needs help. Hey, can I pray for you? Yeah, you can. If you have time to pray, then pray. Sometimes you're not going to have time. See the previous point. Put it on the list and just do it. But if you've got the time, do it now. Do it now. Ask the question, can I pray for you, instead of just telling someone, I will pray for you. It'll change your life and theirs. You know, it's something we teach our kids. My, my parents taught us that when we were young. We'd see an ambulance going by or come across a car accident. You say, you know, what? let's just pray for those people. Obviously, they need prayer, and we're just driving. we got time. So let's pray for them. Ashley and I, we try to teach our kids the same thing. When it comes to prayer, even though it can be as simple as a conversation, there are some important things to know in terms of how we go about doing it. And that's the next point that I want to get to, this next part here, I guess. Praying in agreement with God. Praying in agreement with God. One of my personal heroes of the faith, great man of God, teacher on prayer, by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, he said this right here. Prayer is not an argument with God to persuade him to move things our way. It's not what it is but an exercise by which we are enabled by his spirit to move ourselves his way. Isn't that good? Praying in agreement and more importantly, getting into agreement with God is actually something Jesus demonstrated for us. This is something I talk about a lot and I think about, I'm not kidding, I think about this every day. It's one of the most fascinating things to me about being a Christian is what I'm about to tell you right now. John 6, 38 says this, I have come down from heaven, not that I should do my will, but the will of one who sent me. And John 5.19 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing for himself except what he sees the Father doing. For whatever that one does, 
these things also, the Son, does likewise. Now, why is that so fascinating to me? Well, because the opening lines of that same book, the same Gospel of John, tells us that Jesus was the Creator. All things were made through him, by him. Everything that ever came into being wasn't made apart from him, right? It's all right in there in the very first few verses of the first chapter. So here we have Jesus who made the dirt he's standing on, made the air that he's breathing, created humanity that he's interacting with. He is completely sinless. And yet he says, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. That right there, if you ever needed proof, that is proof that there is such thing as a good idea and a God idea. If Jesus can demonstrate that uh, God's will was more important than his, then we should just readily accept that. Readily accept it. should be no more argument about, but I want. Jesus laid it down. Think of that. Had he done what he wanted to do, and not done what the Father said. He might have done some good stuff, but he might not have did the right thing. He had a habit, by the way. It was habitual. If you read the scriptures, you're going to find time after time after time again where Jesus slipped away, wandered away, departed, even left people who needed ministering, walked away from them to go pray and say, what's my Father saying to me? See, he wasn't, it was not the need that drove him. It was the instruction of God that drove him. And this is frankly how we should be. When I look around at the world and all of the crazy stuff that's happening, and I ask the Lord, what should we do about it? I mean, how many times in the last two weeks have you thought, man, what can we do about that? I was asking the Lord, what do we do about this? All these things that we see, my heart is I want to do. I want to change things. I want to see changes all over the place. I don't even get into that. But I go to the Lord in prayer, and this is what he tells me. The ways of the wicked are controlled by the devil in the flesh. So part of the enemy's strategy is to actually create chaos so that the people of God will go respond to it. See, if we spend all of our time responding to the wickedness of the world, then the devil actually controls our agenda now. You ever thought about that? See, once we're children of God, the enemy doesn't really care what we think about things anymore. He cares about how we respond to it, how we react to it. And if he can get us chasing this thing and that thing and this thing over here, he now controls your agenda. You may say, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but you're now a slave to agenda. that is not the Lord's. So we've got to be very careful of that. Or we'll stumble off and get into things that God never asked us to do. As a side note here, it's important to remember that we are called the body of the body of Christ. What does that mean to be a body? That means some people are hands, some people are feet, some people are mouths. But guess what? Some people are hearts, internal organs that you can't see. But what they do is so vital, the body would collapse without them. It's easy for people like me, frankly, who like to, to get up and talk to, to look and you don't see people doing certain things. You think, man, I wonder what they're doing. And that's just a wicked thing to do. God forgive me for ever doing that. Because God has called some people to be organs that you can never see. But try to take your heart out and replace your hand with it. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. I suggest to you that the heart is more vital than the hands, the mouth, or the feet. And so it's an important thing to remember, especially in community, in relational settings like what we have here, that not everybody is called to the same thing. Not everyone here can take up every cause. You would literally go crazy. You would never get anything done. You would just burn out in like five minutes. Not everybody can do everything. 
So that's why it's important that we don't go tell somebody else what they must do for God. When we do that, we're actually rising to a place of ignorance where we, excuse me, arrogance, where we think that we're God. We determine we're God, you're not, so I'm going to tell you what you need to do, right? But we cannot do that. So if your cause isn't their cause, don't judge them. Just pray for them and ask them to pray for you. How can I pray for you and what God's called you to do? Here's how you can pray for me and what God's called me to do. But the thing is, God did not make everybody to be a mouth or everybody to be hands or everybody to be feet. That'd be the funniest looking body that you've ever seen. And it just wouldn't work right. So we have to be people who will let other people be who God called them to be. Especially when they're different than us. Because here's the thing. You've got to know this. You've got to catch this. When God calls you to do something, not only could it be, but it should be the most important thing to you. When God speaks to you, that's all that should matter. But because of that, we can look at somebody else who's not called like we are and think they're not doing the real work. Right? I love evangelists, but that's why evangelists sometimes can think everybody should be an evangelist. If you're called to be an evangelist, well, bless God, be the best evangelist you can be. But don't look at somebody else whose passion for uh, evangelism is different than yours and condemn them for it. You just do you. You do what God told you to do. If your passion is uh, in social justice and helping the poor, well, do that. But don't look at somebody else who's called to intercessory prayer and condemn them for not doing what you're doing. If you're called to be a counselor and a caregiver, well, my God, give the best care that you can. But don't blame people who are bad at it. You don't want them doing that anyway. I don't know about you. I don't. I don't. <laughs> we got we to gotta understand that all these things I'm talking about, they're good and godly things. The body of Christ should be doing all of those things, but you should not be doing all those things. There's no way that all these things will ever be the most important thing to every believer. So church, can we agree that we're going to be a church who allows people to hear from God, do what they're supposed to do, let them do it as God directs them, give them the freedom to be them, and us to do the same thing. I think it's super important. You've probably heard of 1 Samuel 15, 22, where it says obedience is greater than sacrifice. Here's what I get out of that. The scope and size of your ministry, the scope and size of your ministry is not the measure of success. Whether it's this church or what you're doing or somebody else. I'm unimpressed by big church numbers. I think it's great. You can do a lot of stuff. I'm not opposed to big church. As long as we understand the scope and size of ministry isn't the measure of success. You want to know how you measure it? Right here. Obedience to the things God spoke to you. That's how you measure your success. So you want to have measurables in your life with Christ? I would suggest, yeah, there should probably be some fruit. But don't worry about counting the fruit. Look at your list of obedience. What did God tell you to do? What sin did he tell you abandon? What purpose did he tell you to walk in? And are you doing those things? That's how you know if you're being successful as a Christian. Not how many people show up and tell you, you did a great job. This, by the way, was also demonstrated by Jesus. I mean, in a spiritual sense, he accomplished the most good. He did what the Father asked him to do. He said it is finished on the cross. He conquered death in his resurrection. There was nothing more that he could do in terms of his marching orders. But in a natural sense, even Jesus' ministry was extremely limited. He was limited by geography. He was limited by time. He was limited, most importantly, by his instructions. See, the truth of the matter is, in the natural realm, Jesus could have done a whole lot more. He really could. You ever thought about that? He could have deposed rulers. He could have changed systems. He could have called down legions of angels to rescue him. 
He could have started ministry a year earlier or made it go a year longer. He could have fed more uh, hungry people. He could have healed more sick people. He could have built homes for homeless people. He could have done all kinds of things. In a very practical sense, he could have done a whole lot more, but that wasn't the Father's plan. So I say this to you today. If the most important thing to Jesus was doing the will of his Father, then the most important thing to you and me should be doing the will of our Father. Remember, if all we do is chase after problems... Instead of listening to the voice of God, we surrender our very lives to the plan of the enemy, thinking that you're doing good. So if you're here today and you're out there doing something, that's great. But if you started doing whatever you're doing purely in reaction to something else that happened, well, I encourage you to take a step back, pray and seek the Lord to see, did you ask me to do this or did I just do this? Here's why that's important. The safest place that you can be is right in the center of God's will. So this building, as great as it is, we've got security forces to watch after us. We're in a fairly safe part of town. We've got all these reasons to think that we're safe here. But if God has purposed you to be somewhere else, this is not a safe place for you. I'm glad you're here, but you understand what I'm saying. You're home at night with your big loud dog and your security system and all your deadbolts and padlocks and cameras and whatever else you want to put up to make yourself feel safe. If that's not where God wants you to be, that's not the safest place for you. And yet at the same time, if there's riots going on with people throwing Molotov cocktails at each other and firing guns and swinging punches, but Jesus says, go down there and hug people and pray for them and love on them, then in the middle of that riot is the safest place on earth that you could ever be. You must be, we must be where God calls us to be. And even sometimes when we go to pray and we want to pray about getting in agreement, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so perplexed by things happening, whether it's my own life or things I see in the news, I literally do not know where to start. I sit down to pray, nothing. There's so much, I'm just, it's like you're deafened by all the sound. You don't know what to do. That's when God says he has an amazing gift for us called praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. I don't have time to get into all of this today. I'm going to give you two quick scriptures. If some of this messes with you a little bit or you think Nate just jumped the shark, the next two Sundays in our foundations class, we're going to be dealing with the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Two weeks worth of that. So if you want more of this, you can find it there. Uh, But for now, I'm just going to give a couple things. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God, because no one understands, but by the Spirit he speaks mysteries. See, this is one of the places in the Word where we find that praying in tongues is different than speaking in tongues. There are two different gifts for two different purposes. And again, if you need more of that, come see us next week in Foundations. <clears throat> Finally, I want to say in this last section a few things about praying on mission. Praying on mission. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we live in a world where as Christians, we are constantly and continually asking ourselves, what can I do? What can I, just by show of hands, in the last 14 days, how many of you have thought and or prayed, what can I do? That's most people in this room. Well, here's a short answer for you. You can pray. That's actually a real thing to do. Did you know that? That's a real effective thing to do. That's not the only thing we can do. But it is the first thing we should do. 
The late John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And I, I tend to agree with that. I tend to agree with that. He's waiting on us to partner with him to do the things that he wants to do. It's just the way he set it up. <clears throat> but 2 Corinthians tells us that we should not be arrogant to the devices and schemes of the enemy. We should be aware of what he's up to. But being aware of what he's up to, again, doesn't mean responding to what he's up to. What's far more important is knowing what God's up to and what he says about a thing. So one of my most constant prayers, I pray this every day. Probably if I've ever prayed for you, you got whatever you asked for plus this. I say, God, give me your eyes, give me your ears, give me your heart, and give me the courage just to do what you asked me to do. I mean, that's about the best prayer you could ever pray. Give me your eyes. Let me see what you see. Give me your ears. Let me hear the way you hear. Give me your heart so I feel about things the way you feel about things. And then give me the courage to do what you tell me to do. Now, a huge part of getting God's vision and seeing what he sees is to begin to understand where he fights the battle. Where he says that the battle is fought. And so sometimes we go fight battles in places where it's not actually happening. So we're not being effectual. See what I'm talking about right here in Ephesians 6. It's in verse 12 and then 18. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers. Yes, that's in the Bible. Over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, praying at all times in the spirit. Here's what I found. I'm talking to people about prayer and even the things that they, that they do. Most people, if this is you, don't take this as a condemnation. It's just a moment of freedom. Most people think that prayer is preparation for the battle. But I want to submit to you today that that says that prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. <clears throat> See, what we do in activity should be an outflow of what God spoke to us in prayer. Now, please don't go home and tell people that Nate said, don't do anything, just sit at home and pray. To be clear, we must do things, but the first thing we should do is fight in prayer. And then walk out in obedience, whatever it is that God said to us. See, in times like the ones we live in, it's important to be selective about the voices that we listen to. It's important that we listen to the voice of God. Because all the problems that we see today, the ones we see, they're spiritual problems at the root. Their symptoms may come up, and the symptoms may be highly problematic, even deadly. But get this, they are not the problem. The symptoms are not the problem. When the problem is spiritual, it must be fought in the Spirit, at the leading of the Spirit. This is actually good news. The confusion goes away. How do I fight? Where do I fight? What do I do? You get on your knees and you seek the one who can change everything. You can only touch a few. I don't, the most influential person in the world is so limited in influence compared to what God can do. Don't seek to be them. Seek to get with him. So if we want to see God move and change our culture today, I think we have to do things his way. Would you agree? We have to do things his way. So what is his way? Well, I think it's this. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people, my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I myself shall hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their lands. Some of y'all formula people. You want a formula? There you go. Here's the formula. First, make sure it's his name that you're called by. You identify, I'm, I am a child of God. And then we got to walk in humility instead of pride. And then we have to pray and seek his face. And then we turn from evil ways. Listen to me. You cannot bring change into a worldly system if all you are is an echo chamber for their bright ideas. 
See, if you're out reading the news, I can't even talk about the news. If you're getting opinions from somewhere other than God, and that's giving you your marching orders, I'm just telling you, you're missing it. We have to go back and see what the Lord says first. Then, after we do our part, after we do our part, then he will hear from heaven. Then he will come and forgive. Then he will heal our lands. That's what he tells us. It's such good news. He makes it clear for it. Do this and I will come. Do this and I'll come for you. Well, I want to invite our prayer teams to come. I want to invite our worship team to come back out. And I'm tired of being the only one standing. So if y'all would stand with me. We've got a few more minutes to go here. But why don't you stand with me as we begin to close. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, in closing, I just want to remind you of a few things that I've said along the way. First of all, when it comes to prayer, remember it's not prep for the battle. It is the battle. Prayer is the battle. And when we see a battle that needs to be fought in prayer, we have to do it. And do it now if you can. If we're talking about problems more than we're praying about problems, we're probably not fighting the right battle. If we let our sin keep us from praying, Listen, all we're going to do is live in defeat and never even make it to the battle. If we fail to pray because we don't think we know how, the battle's lost before it even got started. So friends today, family today, I have faith today that God can break the chains that keep us from communicating with Him the way we ought to. Whatever the distractions or the lies or the ungodly beliefs, whatever it is, I believe in a moment today that God can break us free of those things. Those of us who stop praying can start to pray again. And so if you need to repent of sin that's kept you from praying, listen, come up here and do it and find forgiveness at the mercy seat. And begin to commune with your Father. If you felt like your prayers don't make a difference and you need a recharge of faith today, well, come up here and get it. If you've longed for the gift of praying in the Spirit and never received it, well, come let one of these faith-filled people pray for you to receive it. If you're just tired and weary of how things are, and you need to be encouraged by prayer, then come up here and find encouragement as we seek the Lord together. You know, prayer is not difficult. Prayer is not complicated. But prayer absolutely is the most practical and the most powerful thing that a child of God could ever do. So we're going to take a bit of time to recommit ourselves to be people of prayer. If you need prayer for that or for anything else, come now. Come now. Don't let this moment pass you by. There are people here ready to pray. I'll pray with you. We've got other people here ready to pray for you. Whatever it is, I just ask you to come. We're going to stay in this moment. The worship team's going to play. We're going to continue to sing. And I'm going to go ahead and begin to pray. As I pray, just come forward. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you've given us a powerful and effective tool. God, I thank you that you've invited us to partner with you in your ministry. Lord, I thank you that you've promised that whoever draws near to you, you'll draw near to them. Lord, I thank you that you said whatever we ask in your name will be given to us. Lord, I thank you you said that when we seek you, we will find you. Lord, I thank you that you promised, Lord, that when we get down on our knees and repent to you, that you'll come near and bring healing and forgiveness. Lord, I thank you that you promised us that when we seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you will heal our land. Lord, we're not hoping against hope. We're praying to the God who made all things for change. Today, God, today, God, stir up a spirit of prayer in this place. Lord, I pray you'd call people into intercession. Lord, I pray you create some more hearts, some more lungs for your body today. These show people your pur- their purpose in you, Lord God.
seats and you're not one of those down here for prayer, just begin to pray for those who are. Just begin to cry out to God. And maybe you're one of those who likes to pray in secret and you don't want to come forward. That's fine. Sit down. Stay where you are. It doesn't matter. We're just going to continue in this moment. I encourage you to continue to seek God for what he might say to you today.